lovely, it's Shauna Lee, and welcome back to the Soul Frequency Show podcast, where we're stepping into the light and raising our frequency together. Each week, we get to return to this sacred space to have conversations about the things we all experience in life, love, health, and career. A space where we, as spiritual beings, having this human experience can amplify our gifts and remember our truth. The title of this episode is The Upper Room. I hope you guys have enjoyed the last few episodes. Um, And today we're doing our final episode prior to taking next week off for the holidays, if anybody's celebrating holidays, I know some people are, some people are not, Um, but we are going to take a little pause uh, just for a week. So it's a good time to go back and listen to episodes that maybe you haven't listened to yet, or the ones you know you wanna listen to a second time. It's a good time to do that. Um, I think the, this time of year is a really important time to kind of revisit stuff, right? And to look into, hmm, what else do I really want to integrate as I move through the end of this year? And the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about um, sitting in sacred circle and the importance of that. And we're going to be doing that tomorrow. Can you believe it's already tomorrow? What? I know. I can't believe it. I'm so excited. Um, And we're going to be activating your soul purpose. How cool is that? There are so many downloads I've been getting about this. Um, and and what it's like, say this, do this, teach them this, right? All these funny things. Um, but really powerful stuff. And so I will look forward to being with you all and sharing energy, having heart-centered connection, creating a safe space where we are full of love and connection and we can offload the stuff that's no longer a vibrational match for that. When we raise our frequency together to the place of love, right? anything that's not at that frequency needs to kind of fall away and start to go. So past pain or difficulty, lack of clarity, all those things just start to slowly drift away so that we can see more, right? See beyond the illusion. So there's this opening that we can shift our frequency and it's cool. And um, since energy attracts like kind energy, there'll be a lot of other people supporting the sacred circle, right? With their beautiful energy, which I think is amazing. And we're gonna connect and interact. And if you didn't listen to last week, I think I talked about bringing questions. If you have questions, you can bring them, um, jump on right at the start time and get your questions submitted. And I'll be going through specific questions on soul purpose and how to activate you know, your soul's highest alignment in this lifetime. It's really important at this time. And this is a good time of year to be doing this type of work. So I'm gonna be helping you to align to a new energy and um, allowing that path of purpose to illuminate before you. Really beautiful. And today, uh, our guest is Paul Selig, who is considered one of the most foremost spiritual channels working today. In his breakthrough works of channeled literature, which are I Am the Word, Beyond the Known, Realization, 
and then Alchemy, which we talk about today, he has recorded an extraordinary program for personal and planetary evolution as humankind awakens to its own divine nature. Paul was born in New York City and received his master's degree from Yale. A spiritual experience in 1987 left him clairvoyant. Described as a medium for the living, Paul has the unique ability to step in to the people his clients ask about, often taking on their personalities and physical characteristics. His work has been featured on ABC, News, Nightline, Fox News, the Biography Channel series, The Unexplained, and elsewhere. Paul offers channeled workshops internationally. He's a noted educator. He served on the faculty of New York University for over 25 years and is a former director of the MFA in writing program at Goddard College, where he now serves on the board of trustees. With no further ado, please help me welcome Paul Selig. Paul, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be having this conversation. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so I really want to focus on one of your new books called Alchemy. I just uh, read it, and there's so many things I can say about this experience. Um, But before we start sharing about the book, I would love if you could take us back to how this experience started, how you started channeling, you know, maybe even people ask me all the time, like, what's that first experience like where you tap into something else? Um, What was that for you? Well, you know, it was unexpected in a lot of ways. I had been raised sort of an atheist and um, I hit a point in my life when I was 25 where I had a fancy list of things I needed to achieve in the world. And I got the whole list and I thought it would make me happy and it didn't. And in fact, I wasn't okay. So I actually started praying for the first time in my life, which surprised me. And I actually heard a voice telling me to get my act together, which surprised me even more. And I happened to listen to it. And that was a life changer. So I opened the door to a kind of spirituality at that age. And because I wasn't raised with anything, I I didn't have a tremendous amount of baggage, except, you know, in my home, we thought people who you know, believed in something greater than themselves were probably kind of stupid or simple, but that was just, you know, the the convenience of my upbringing and had nothing to do with any kind of reality. So I began to, I had an experience when I was 25 that opened me up psychically. I started seeing little lights around people, or at least I equate seeing lights around people to, to what I experienced, which people said sounded like a spontaneous Kundalini awakening. I'll never know what it was. Um, It was energy moving through my body and out through the top of my head. And I came when I asked to know spirit, to know God. I just asked to know. And I figured, well, why would it want to say no? If you asked to know it, why would it want to say no? So the light started and I had to get a context for what I was starting to experience. You know, I'd heard things. I was seeing lights. I, you know, was, was beginning to open up spiritually and psychically at the same time. And I had no context for that at all in my household. And somebody sent me to an energy healer to, 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 you know, to see what would happen. And um, I ended up studying myself after a few years. And I found I was volunteering at a center in New York City that had been open to support people that were living with life-challenging illnesses. It was the height of the AIDS epidemic back in those days. And these pop-ups were, were around because Western medical treatment wasn't keeping anybody alive at that moment in time. 
And I found that when I had my hands on people's bodies, I started to hear things for them. So my clairaudience has pretty much always been in service to other people. Um, not like I'm not getting what I want necessarily. Nobody's telling me the lucky numbers or where I'm going to meet my partner or anything like that. I'll go to other people for that stuff. But the guides that I work with are teachers. And um, they began working through me shortly thereafter. I started a little group in my apartment just to do energy work with a few people because I was so excited and intrigued by the palpable nature of the energy. Couldn't, couldn't fake it. So I wanted to be in a group with others. And that's when the guide started speaking through me, which was a surprise and very different in those days. So it was a progression. I can't tell you that there was a moment where I went, aha, you're clairaudient. I went, aha, what the hell is this? And I had to find a context for it and a way of growing comfortable with it. And given my upbringing, and also given my other life, I was an academic. I taught at NYU for 25 years. I wasn't looking to be known for this kind of thing, um, let alone you know, have books. The books I didn't expect either, they just started coming. You know, with two days notice, the guide said, we have a book to write. It'll take two weeks if you do it. And that was the first book, which was 10 years ago. And now there's nine of them. Alchemy, I think, is the, the eighth. The ninth one was completed just last month here on Maui, where I've been, you know, since, uh, since coronavirus started. Amazing. And did you have the experience that the guides were like a certain guide to begin with? I mean, has that evolved over time when you say the guides? The only reason they're called the guides is my ex from 100 years ago. And my ex found out that I could do this, he used to say, ask the guides this, ask the guides that. And suddenly there was a captive psychic in the house and the psychic me was accurate. And that's really where I learned that I could read. You know, I could talk about the, uh, the job interview or, you know, how the rent would be paid on the business or things like that that were being asked of me. Um, the first name that I heard as I opened to channeling as I do now I heard the priest and then I heard the high priest and the name that I've been given, you know, and others have said the same thing, which is always, I don't like it when people tell, you know, who your guides are, because I think then it becomes property. But the name was Melchizedek that was given and he was a priest. It's a priesthood, Melchizedek. So that's the name that's been associated with this. I don't know that the name matters all that much. And I tend to be a little bit cautious around the attachment to names because it tends to have a lot of ego, you know, sort of informing it. Like when I was in my early thirties and opening up myself, and this is a while ago, you know, you would hear things like, well, there's an Archangel Michael channeling in, in Brooklyn, but you really want to go to the Upper West Side to hear Gabriel because that's the hot one. You think this is <laughs> bullshit, you know? Right. I mean, it doesn't really work that way. I've actually, you know, read for people who've said, well, I've been told that I'm the next channel for, and then pick a well-known channeler, as if those guys are going to start working with them as soon as the other person expires. And I just want to go, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. It doesn't need to. It doesn't need to work with our own kind of hierarchy and our own, you know, need to dictate how it should sound and what it should be like. Um, and I've, I've developed a little bit of an antenna around that stuff because I try to stay, you know, in my integrity with this work myself. Otherwise, I don't think I could do it. You know, I just don't think I could show up for it for this long. Yeah, I feel the same way. I notice, you know, same with different types of gifts like Claire audience or, you know, and people have this hierarchy to the psychic gifts of one being better than the other. And, and when you hear that, 
you're just immediately thinking that's the ego and the hierarchy and it has nothing to do with what's really going on, right? It kind of, it's like the frequency changes. Well, I think, I do think that people come in with different abilities. You know, I'm never going to be chosen for a basketball team. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm too heavy, I'm too old. It's probably, unless there's like, you know, overweight, you know, you know, men in their 50s basketball team. I don't know that I'm going to be chosen to play, you know, in the NBA. I don't think it's going to happen. But I have a skill set that's available for the work that I do. Now, I don't think that the skill set makes me more evolved or more special. It's just how I'm worked with. But I do think that there is skill to this. And I know this because I worked for 18 years in my apartment with people putting 10 bucks in a basket and I wasn't looking to be known. And I think people, and some perhaps do, they show up with all of their abilities fully intact and kaboom. But for me, there was a process of discernment of knowing when it was not me and when it was and learning about how my ego wants to get in the way of this stuff. Um, and then sort of addre addressing that. I was told by a couple of different mediums when I was about 29, 30 years old, and I was already working, but very quietly. And they said to me in different ways, you know, you have a whole other career coming to you in your late forties, early fifties. Um, and I asked one of them, well, why isn't it happening now? And this person said, well, you've been veiled for your own protection. And in retrospect, that makes perfect sense. I wouldn't have been able to handle it. Yeah. It would have been too much about the wrong things, I think, in those days. So, you know, I, I do think that there are psychics I know that are working that I think are enormously gifted. And some of them are my friends, and I'm grateful for that um, because I get to call them and say, what do you get? You know, right. and some of them are calling me back and saying, and what do you get? Because I'm having a rough day. So, but there are things that I don't, you know, my primary work is not as a precognitive. Other people that I know, that's their primary work. Um, you know, what I do, I have an odd gift. The channeling is, I'm a radio, I take dictation, that's my job. You know, as I'm channeling, I'm, I'm the voice for the guides, they're coming through and I'm working psychically. If you were to call me for a session and say, why can't I get this relationship with so-and-so to work? I can tune into you and I can tune into so-and-so and I may start to resemble so-and-so when I do it, but I can broker the conversation at the higher level. And I call that, you know, my clairsentience, it's my, my, it's em your empathic skills. But it's not just like, again, not like, you know, we can all feel what everybody else is feeling to a certain extent. What I end up doing sort of is embodying at that level. But again, I do that in service to somebody else's needs. It would never occur to me to do that with somebody that I might be dating unless I was getting stood up in a restaurant and I wanted to know if they were stuck in traffic or this was <laughs> This was the big goodbye. So that's me. But, you know, people do have different things that they do well, like anything else. You know, somebody can bake, somebody can drive, somebody can. We all have these things that are unique to us that give us joy. And I think we're all built in certain ways and we come with different things. You know, I learned how to teach um, for 25 years, you know, at NYU. And I ran a graduate program someplace else. And I'm grateful that I did because that was my spiritual practice. It's where I learned to get out of the way, you know, for somebody else and not decide who they should be and what they should know and what was right. That stuff has to sort of step away. Otherwise, it's too informed by a personal agenda. And I can't do that if I'm to work effectively as a, as a channel. 
I agreed. And by the way, I use the basketball analogy myself. So I laughed inside when you said that <laughs> there's probably a connection there because I'm five foot one and a half, right? So you and I are not playing basketball, right? <laughs> um, but I love that you brought up discernment because I feel like maybe at the beginning, well, at least in my own journey at the beginning, that wasn't the first word that came to mind as I started to open up my gift. It's very important to me at this point. So it became increasingly more important. And I feel like maybe the more things I was processing or, or uh, experiencing had me question discernment. So what do you feel like at this time is important for people to know about discernment? Well, the guides I work with say the action of fear is to claim more fear. And every choice we make in fear is to get us more of the same. And then I, I hear from people occasionally who are starting to open up to spirit and they're hearing things. And um, I don't know how I do what I do, so I'm not anybody to train mediums or channels. But one of the things that I do believe is that if people are getting messages that are fearful or fear-based or being told to act in fear, that's probably low-level stuff. You know, and the other thing that I believe is that you know, the guys that I work seem to honor free will. They don't tell people what to do. They really don't tell people, me what to do either. And I wish they would sometimes. And I've used the example before that if I want to walk into traffic, I can do it. But if I say, is this a good time to cross the street? They may say not wise. And not wise means I'm being counseled, but I'm still being honored as the one who gets to choose. So I tend to suspect that fear-based messages and also messages of flattery are to be wary of. You know, occasionally somebody says, well, I'm being told that I'm the, the only true channel for blankety blank, blank, blank. And, um, you know, and I, I think that that tends to be an appeal to the egoic structure that needs to feel special and important. Now, when I first started opening up, doing energy work, I did get to feel special. It was a part of my experience was to go, oh, wow, what is this? I must be special. This is happening through me. But then I realized, well, yes, it's happening through you. And it's happening through many other people too. And it's available, which is the good news. So I say, you know, if this is available for me at whatever level I'm choosing it or agreeing to do it, it must be available to others as well, which takes some of that stuff out of the way. Discernment, somebody once described discernment to me as simple. It's just sort of, because the guides sometimes say, you know, how do I know what's fear? And I talk about the difference between prudence and fear and the guides have explained it in their own way, which is, you know, if it's raining, it's not a bad idea to have an umbrella. It doesn't mean that you're frightened of the rain. If there's uh, a sign saying thin ice on the lake, that may be best not to skate. And if you want to experiment with it, you may, but you might fall, you'll find yourself, you know, falling into the water. That's not fear. That's discernment and prudence. Somebody once said years ago, you know, when you're, when you're stacking the dishwasher, you put the knives face down. There's nothing wrong with a knife, you know, but you don't want to, you know, grab it by the wrong end when you're taking it out. You don't have to be frightened. You just have to know what the damage could be. Yeah, really important. And I think, you know, the term alchemy is being used more often uh, mm -hmm. in this day and age. And they talk about in the book, alchemy as the new potentiality, which I thought was a really beautiful way. And I just, for people that haven't read the book, if you guys haven't, you want to pick this up. Um, they said the alchemist is released from the agreements of the dense field. So I have 
a personal experience with this myself. Like these words mean a lot to me. This transmission means a lot to me. And I'm just curious, are we all releasing from the dense field? Is this a collective experience that's going on? And if so, because, you know, many people have people in their lives that feel very dense and it feels like that person's, you know, nowhere near to releasing from a dense field. Um, what's, what's going on with this idea of alchemy at this time? Um, well, what I hear is, we have a great opportunity now. We're lifting, everything's lifting. And the dense field is just the reality that we've known and become accustomed to and actually have been con been contributing to through our collective consciousness. Mm -hmm. So my understanding is, because this is what the guides teach, is we're actually lifting to a higher level of tone or vibration. Now, the idea of what it looks like for somebody else to be lifted or to know themselves in that way may have nothing to do with my projection for them. Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question or not. So let me see. The guides talk about this thing called the upper room. And they say the upper room is quite simply the octave, musical octave, above the one that we're all participatory here. And they say an octave is comprised of low notes and high notes. You know, and everything that we see, and where they say we're in vibrational accord with at this level. So their idea of moving beyond the density is lifting to what they call the upper room or the next octave. And you do that in some ways by releasing what you think should be and also who you are, which is your attachment to form as you've known form or attachment to say what it means to be successful or beautiful or anything that you could choose that's basically been agreed to through collective agreement which is cultural bias, and that's all it is. The guides sometimes say things like, you know, um, you know, the rich man and the poor man are both learning lessons of abundance just in different ways, and you're the ones who make one higher than the next. They're different things to learn, and we come here to have different experiences in different ways. So what they teach in alchemy is this whole idea of rearticulation which is the transposition from one level of consciousness or vibration to a higher one. And that's the purpose of the book, as I understand it, is to show us that we can move beyond the density that we've grown so accustomed to. They basically say, you know, we're all born into this field and it's like being born into a pool where somebody peed in already, you know, and that's fear. That's just all the fear. And we're taught to agree to fear. And they say that's the vast difference between this level of vibration, what they call the upper room, which is in the upper room, there isn't fear. When I was able to do workshops in person, um, you know, the guys used to bring everybody to the upper room and they'd say to them, okay, now what are you afraid of? And it just wasn't there, which was the crazy thing. Like you'd have to really look. And if you look too hard, you'd find yourself right back downstairs because that's where that agreement existed. So, yeah, it's beautiful. And they also talk about the divine as you. So this idea that, you know, some people have the concept of the divine is outside of us. It's something we're trying to achieve or get to. Um, can you talk a little bit about the divine as you? Well, they say that there's an aspect within all of us that knows who he, she, it is. And they call that the true self. And they've called it other things. They've said the eternal self, they've called it the Christed self. They've, the monad is a word that they use at times, which is, you know, the piece that holds the entirety of the whole. And the realization of the true self is what all of their books have been about and how that transpires. 
So the guides say the true self is never afraid. The true self knows who she is, what she is, how she serves, and how she serves, they say, is how she or it is most fully expressed as the being that you are. So the idea of God as being the pretty things and God as being the things that we say we want kind of has to go out the window with this teaching. I mean, I don't, I'm not a student of, of non-duality. I'm not a student of much of anything, but I'm assuming that this is a teaching of non-duality, which basically, if I'm right, because what they're saying is, you know, God is all things. You know, God is your breath, God is your fingers, God is the one across the street that you can't stand. I mean, God is an expression as all things, granted perhaps at different levels of tone or vibration or realization, but it's still source. Low notes and high notes, which comprise the octave. So the divine self is the essence of the teaching. How that is realized is who, identity and what, manifestation and service, which is expression, is what they teach. And do you feel like the true self is something that we've explored for hundreds of years, or do you feel like it's unique to this specific time in humanity? I don't think it's unique in the least. I think it's been, or I think this is probably the oldest teaching there is. The guides have said it's the basis for all religions, but unfortunately, most religions have grown in distortion over time, but the essence of the teaching remains you know, constant. So I don't think it's a new teaching. I do think what may be different is that there's less resistance now. This whole idea that we're all shifting, you know, and this is happening at a global level now, and that what we're seeing in this sort of mess that we happen to look out on is the resistance to that. You know, the guide said recently, and it was an interesting teaching, they said, you know, you think that the, the ship has been turned out upside down. But in fact, the ship is being righted. And you basically, we've been underwater for so long, we can't imagine what it's like to be above it, above the surface. But as a ship is turned, everything's falling apart. You know, but this is part of the process of, of, of resurrection or the divine resurrecting is who and what we are. The falling apart of coming together. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, interesting. And and so as you read the words, if, if anybody's listening and you've not read channeled text before, like my experience of that is there is a definite energy transmission that comes behind or with the words. So, and the placement of the words, this is what is fascinating to me too, as I'm reading it is because you could read any one sentence and there is like a treasure trove of information. I feel like in any one sentence based on how the words are put together and the words are chosen. Am I accurate with that? Well, the way these guides work, I mean, the, the books they say are energetic transmissions that mm -hmm. work directly on the reader. And there's no writing. I sit in a chair. The last number of books, three or four, were all done fully in front of audiences. This last book that I just did here on Maui was done, you know, in front of live stream audiences and a, a group that I convened. But everything else for the last few years was done with people sitting in the room, you know, different workshops and students, and the, the books are the unedited transcripts of these sessions. I don't know nothing, we don't get to go back and fix it and make it pretty and take out the things that are confusing. Um, it's just what it is. So I understand that if you wanna look sort of at musical notes, you know, in a, you know on, on a page, the words are sort of operating like that. The, the, the reader is informed, I almost wanna say less so by the content than by 
the experience of, of the energy that informs the content, which is the guides. And they've said this from the very beginning, these books are experienced. And the first book, which came out 10 years ago now, um, there was no advertising, there was no nothing. You know, people didn't know who I was from a hole in the wall and I was surprised that anybody read the book to begin with. But the reviews started coming in on Amazon and people were saying things like, I'm reading this book and my body's vibrating. I'm reading this book and I'm seeing auras. And that's what the guide said would happen. And it's been that way since then. So people are really being worked on by the text. And I don't think that the words are chosen lightly. Yeah, I agree. There is definitely an energy that comes through as you're reading. And I found that you know, starting and, and once you get into the book more, if you are sitting down and reading for a period of time, that energy uh, gets, you feel it more as time goes on. So you're spending more time in the text. There's just mm -hmm. more energy that's coming. It feels like, uh, just to give it words, I mean, I don't know that there are words, but it, it's like an unlocking or an activation that is what it feels like. Like it's just opening new doors um, maybe even of perception, um, but but it's uh, it's unique in that way for anybody that hasn't read you know your your books. I just want to describe it a little bit. Again, these words fail in describing these things, but I think it's something to be experienced, like you said, and I think it's something that is probably uniquely received by different people, like based on you know who they are, where they're at, what their gifts are, experiences. Um, but I feel like it's a nice, uh, it's a nice thing to experience. And I think when we start experiencing energy like this, that that in a, in and of itself is going to open doors, right? That, that after sitting and reading this for a while, like there is a shift that's occurring that is going to bring other stuff, right? Bring in new information, new opportunities, new things, new awareness. I hope so. Um, my my own experience when I, from when I was in my you know late twenties, early thirties, was beginning to feel energy. I mean, you know, palpably feel it was life changing because then I couldn't argue that there was more. You know, there was more. Clearly, there was more than I could see or had thought. And the books for many people are sort of gateways to their own clear cognizance, and and in a lot of ways, their own ability to feel energy, which is really just clairsentience. Um, and it's interesting to me that this continues to happen, you know, to, to the readers of the books. And, um, you know, I've said, you know, you don't need me for this stuff to happen. You know, it's in the books, you know, thank God, you know, I won't be here forever, but the books may last a little longer than me. And, you know, consequently, the guides are still working, you know, they're still attuning and they're still supporting the readers and their own capacity for, for higher awareness. It's wonderful. And what's going on in the room, like at one of these events where you are basically channeling uh, the book, what is, what is the experience to be in the room? Well, you know, I don't know that they're going to do a book until they start doing a book. And usually because there have been deadlines and I have a sense that they may start in March or they may start in April. The last book, they, I thought they were going to start in March. And I had, you know, I had big events going on, you know, seven day events. I would a perfect time, two seven day events in a row. They can do 200 pages in that time. And then I heard, then I heard no June. I didn't know what the hell that was about. And it was actually about coronavirus. Everything was canceled. And I wasn't, all those events were canceled. And actually the one, the one in March wasn't. Anyway, it was interesting. And they started in June in a whole new way than they've ever done. 
But in the groups, um, and now the groups are done online, so they're still happening, you know, weekly and monthly. They're, they're doing exactly what they would do in a workshop for people online. The difference is we don't have 100 people. We have a few thousand sometimes. The guides attune everybody to the energies that they work with in a way that hopefully is palpable for them and that they can begin to work with. They'll usually deliver a teaching that will be the foundation for what comes next. And with the books, the guides will do a lecture and say, and this is the introduction to the next book, and the title of the book is blankety blank. And then I go, oh, crap, because that means I have to strap myself in for whatever's to come. And that can be a couple of months of sessions of these things. And, you know, the students that are there for them are getting the preview of the book, you know, as it emerges. But because every book is coming in sequence, the guides always seem to catch up the reader as best they can so that they have the vocabulary and the context for where they're going next. Um, the very first book, I Am the Word, was dictated over the phone. You know, I had, there was a, a colleague of mine from Goddard where I, I ran a master's program and I would call her every morning, 11.30 New York time, 9.30 Berkeley time, and close my eyes, put on a recorder and they would just deliver the text. And then I, in those days, was transcribing it, going, what the hell is this? And now, the good news is they're done in front of groups. There's somebody videotaping. We send the recording off to the transcription service and the book comes back done. Essentially, there's nothing nothing else to do. Um, but uh, the, the experience of being in the book is being with the guys and in the energy and then being able to ask questions. Often questions are included in the books that are asked in response to the lectures that they give. And have you ever said no to the guides or felt like what's coming through is personally difficult for you? All the time. I interrupt all the time. And <laughs> you'll see it says Paul is interrupting or Paul has a question. And they'll usually answer or unpack it. Once in a while, they'll say, we'll get to this after the lecture or at the end, which I actually prefer because that reminds me that they're in charge. But, you know, I'm not the author of the book. My name appears on the covers of the book. And so I feel a sense of responsibility to the, the accuracy of the dictation, if nothing else. But if they were to say, and this has happened, you know, the moon is made of green cheese, and they didn't say that, I would have to go, hey, wait a minute. And then they'd have to explain what that meant. Um, in one book, it was the Book of Mastery, which I think is about four years old now. Um, the guide said in one lecture, you know, nothing is real. And they started to unpack it. I went, okay, I've heard that before, you know, so what? Let them talk, this is not. And then <clears throat> the next day they started their teaching with everything is real. And I went, what? <laughs> I contradicted themselves. I totally melted down because the rule is I don't get to go back and take things out. I might mispronounce a word in a text. That's about the worst of it. You know, like I say it too fast and you can usually hear it in the recording. Um, or clearly I was, in the last book, they were using a word in, in alchemy. Um, they were using a word that I didn't know. I kept hearing this word penumbra and I wouldn't say it aloud because I didn't think it was a real word. And so they said, and it's in the book, Paul is hearing a word and he's refusing to say it. I footnoted it because this, there was a whole audience there and I said, it was penumbra. Everybody got their phones up and looked up the word. It was the perfect word. It's the light that shines behind the clouds. It was the perfect metaphor for the whole chapter. But, you know, I missed it. And that was my resistance to, to going along for the ride. And, and clearly indicative of my lack of trust that they have a, a better vocabulary than I do. And I, I've, I've grown to know that they do.
And isn't that human though? I mean, even as much as we know, we still resist, right? That resistance comes in. Yeah, I mean, if I were a trans channel, if I was like asleep for this thing, I think it would be easier when they, I whisper and repeat, which is weird. And the whisper and repeating allows me to hear it. The times when they've channeled through me and I've not done that, and I, it's almost like I become the sound. I just become the vowels and the constants. I don't even know what, it's really freaky. And it feels fairly out of control. And I don't love doing it that way. There may come a time when that happens. But because I'm there, I, 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 I describe it this way. Like when I'm channeling, it's like I'm climbing into the backseat of a car and I'm turning the wheel over. But I'm still like, you know, and some days like they'll say, go read a comic book, go read, you know, go read a magazine. And I'm back in there sort of trying to sort of not really listen to what's happening. But occasionally I'll hear something that's confounding. And then I, I go, what are you saying? I lean over into the front seat and I interrupt and then they address me and usually in a loving way, they'll sort of explain where they're going. And then I get to let go again. So I have, the gift of being able to hear what they're saying, but the farther away I can stay from it, the more effective I'm going to be, in which case I wouldn't question a word choice. You know, I wouldn't occur, I wouldn't have time to not say penumbra if it came up again. Right. And do you feel like it will evolve like that? Like how you are channeling and, and has that evolved over time thus far? It's much, much more fluid than it used to be. It's much less hard on my body than it used mm -hmm. to be. Um, there are early videos of me channeling that I think are online where I'm rocking like I'm at the wailing wall, you know, back and forth. And um, in retrospect, I, some of us, I still rock sometimes when the energy's shifting for me and it's getting higher and I have to, to acclimate to it. And yeah, there are times when there's basically no repetition. And I think some of that is my attachment to the way that I work because it's comfortable for me. And when it's coming, very often it's coming so, so, so fast, you can barely keep up with it. it was whisper, repeat, whisper, repeat, whisper, repeat. And understand that I only hear things in fragments. I hear the phrase, I don't hear the whole thought. So I'm repeating a phrase. So if you can imagine reading ticker tape like that, and saying it all as you read it, that's my experience of being a channel. And I, I suspect it may be comparable to others or different than some others. And, you know, I look at some people, I've, I've seen, I don't watch other channels, so I don't really compare myself. Um, and I try not to, because I'm sure I would think I was doing it all backwards. Um, but I saw some video of Jane Roberts, who, who was the channel for Seth, and some, video, some, some film, it was actual film that was taken of her working in the 1970s. And I recognized it. I recognized how she was working and how the body's being used and things like that. And, you know, I don't like to watch myself work either. So, you know, I find it disconcerting to, to watch myself channel, but, you know, it's not, it's not graceful. Somebody once wrote online that, you know, you know, look at this guy, Paul, so like he's working too hard to be faking it. And I thought that makes sense. If I was going to fake it, I'd find a much easier method of transmission. You know, I'd be sitting there in my, with my turban on, I suppose, and, you know, acting like I knew what I was doing. And after these years, I can't say that I do. I, it's like standing at the edge of a diving board every time, every time and hoping that there's water in the pool. That has not changed. And there always is. But, you know, people pay money and they come to see me and, you know, I'm sitting there in a chair with no idea of what they're going to talk about until it starts. 
And it's like that every time. And I, I guess I'm glad that that much I trust, because I think if they started to say the same thing every time, I wouldn't trust it, you know? It's yeah. Always- and what comes up for me is the vulnerability in the creativity, like a creative, you know, any, I have clients that are performers and same thing when someone is singing and belting a big note, their face doesn't normally look like something they'd want to take a picture of, right. And put somewhere, but there's this almost divine force of, of, song coming through them that almost sounds like it's not even coming from their body. And when you're experiencing that, it's like full elation. You know, when they see a picture of it, they're like, hmm, that's not the greatest picture of me. But but that force that's coming through is what we feel. I agree. So beautiful. So one last question about um do you feel that there's there I feel like there's an expansion of a higher information coming, you know, through people and in different ways uh, to earth at this time and to humanity. Do you feel like we need to really discern what's coming through? Um, I do, truthfully. I think um, I tend to be somewhat cautious around channelings that are around current events that have an agenda attached to them. I don't think my guides, my guides are teachers, but I, you know, I don't think they care if Princess Di was assassinated. I don't think that that's on their list of important information for the world. Um, So I tend to be cautious about some of that stuff. I think any true teaching is teaching us to, to love one another truthfully. So any teaching that's about hatred and divisiveness, I I tend to be cautious about. Um, But people are tapped into different things. You know, there's different radio stations. I'm a radio. Anybody that's truly channeling is a radio. But I do want to say that I don't think that every station is one one needs to listen to. Just like, you know, Every, everything on the internet doesn't need to be seen or believed or agreed to just because it's there. So it's not about making anybody else wrong. It's about learning, I think, to, to feel it. And finally, I think what we're always feeling is what the intent is behind it. What is the intent behind the message? Is it to bring us closer to our true nature, closer to whatever you want to call God or closer to our fellow human beings, or is it to divide and to separate? And that's the stuff that I I get cautious about. Um, And that's me, you know, that may be somebody else's work to do, and it's not for me to say they shouldn't be doing their work. I only know how I try to to do my own. Beautifully said. So for people that wanna take part in some of what is online right now that you are offering, where would they find out more information about the events and the books, you? My website, which is just my name, it's Paul, P-A-U-L, Selig, S-E-L-I-G.com. And there's an events page there. But I do a five-day intensive middle of each month. There's one starting actually next week. I'm not sure when this airs. And every Wednesday night, I'm channeling as well, pretty much every Wednesday. And um, the guides do classes and the workshops that we did publicly are now public online. So... You know, they're there. People are interested. Also, if people just want to check out the work, there's tons of stuff up on YouTube. It's free. And, you know, you can get a sense of how the guides are teaching and what their concerns are because they're pretty specific in what they address. Yeah. And I love the book, Alchemy. I can't wait to read the other books as well. This is really interesting. When uh, we were going to sit down together, my guides were like, look up his last name. 
And so I looked up your surname and it says it means blessed. Mm -hmm. yeah. So beautiful. How fitting. It also means foolish, I think, depending on the definition you look at. So. <laughs> All the sides of the coin, right? Right, yeah. Thank you, Paul, for being with us. This is amazing information. I appreciate your work and I appreciate the work of, your, of the guides and everything you guys are sharing. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm Shauna Lee, and you've been listening to the Soul Frequency Show podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Soul Frequency. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. Join me next week for more powerful awakenings and positive vibes.